The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your word. Once again, we just thank you that you have made yourself known to us and revealed yourself. Today, Lord, we come knowing that you have, um, you have told us specifically how you, how you came into this world and uh, what a wonder that is. So we pray, God, that you would help us to be good stewards of it, that you would inhabit um, both the words that I say and the words that, that the folks hear, that we would be uh, drawn to you and uh, lived into by you, and, um, and that we would grow in you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so um, this is our third week of week uh, of part one, third and final week of part one. There is coffee over here if you would like. Uh, there are handouts going around, and for the folks that are online, uh, the handout is simply the, um, the Bible verses, and that is uh, we're in Matthew chapter 1, at verses 18 to 25. So this is the uh, Matthew's narrative. And so you can just turn your Bible uh, to that. So just to kind of recap where we've been, uh, we are talking about the genesis of Jesus, which is to say, how did Jesus come into the world to become our Savior? We looked for two weeks at the genealogies and, and what we saw, um, and that's the first time I've done that. And I actually, I don't know about you, but I really enjoyed it uh, myself, because what, what we wanted to see in those genealogies is that it is not full of pristine people. Uh, it is full of people who need a Savior. Uh, interestingly enough, so is this room. And so um, we are, uh, so is this lectern. And so it is, um, it was remarkable to me to see uh, some folks that are really faithful and some folks that are really not faithful uh, in the line of Jesus. We're actually going to see a little bit more of that today from Ahaz, uh, one of Jesus' direct ancestors So today we come to um, the birth narrative on the heels of hearing that God's plans are not interrupted by our sins, which is incredibly good news, Uh, that Matthew uh, gives his perspective, and remember his main theme is fulfillment. Matthew is is looking at the fulfillment um, of of the scriptures. Uh Uh-oh. I just, okay, are you back on? Somehow my internet... I'm muted. That's no good. Sorry, folks. I'm not sure exactly what happened there. All right. So we are... I'll tell you what. Let me put this right here. That's still going to pick me up. Gives me a little more space. So Matthew gives a very different telling than Luke. Luke is the famous one. Luke is, uh, you know, in the days of Caesar Augustus, um, gave a uh, census was held and all had to go to their hometowns. You know this. This is the one we talk use in the um, uh, in the in the in the nativity pageants and things like that on Christmas Eve. That's that's our reading, Luke chapter two. Matthew essentially gives Joseph's side of the story. And um, there's no mention of a census. There's no mention of the place of Jesus' birth. Uh, although in chapter 2, when the, we, which we'll look at next week, the Magi go to visit Jesus, they go to Bethlehem. So it's implied there. Uh, 
it seems that Joseph was, if you're just reading Matthew, it seems that jo Joseph is from Judea rather than from Galilee. Galilee in the north, Judea where Jerusalem is uh, in the south. Uh, but he lands in, in Nazareth at the end of, of chapter 2. But you do have Matthew and Luke agreeing on uh, a number of very important things. So the arc of the story is essentially the same, even though a lot of the details are not. You have a betrothed couple, which is a little more intense than our engagement. It's, it's a legal, legally binding agreement uh, that has not been uh, consummated by intercourse. But it is, uh, they were betrothed, they were promised to one another legally. And they're, they're called Mary and Joseph, and they are of Davidic descent. They are in the royal line, which is important because that was what was promised to David. So, um, they, you also have a miraculous conception by the Holy Spirit in both. You have angelic revelation of the name Jesus. In Matthew, the angel reveals it to Joseph. In Luke, to Mary. There's no reason why both can't be uh, absolutely true. You have the birth in Bethlehem, which is in both implied in Matthew, but directly given in Luke. And then you have Jesus' upbringing in Nazareth. So let me just uh, read the passage. It's not that long. And, uh, and then we will ask a few questions. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. I'm reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, they, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill, there's that word, what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When, Jesus, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So, from this, we see that Joseph was just as skeptical as you would expect anybody to be. Mary shows up, and she's pregnant, and, and she has the audacity to say it's from the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, being a righteous man, says, thanks, but no thanks, and he's, but he's going to divorce her quietly. Now, you, you notice the word divorce. We, if we, in our culture, if we're engaged to someone and we would break the engagement, that we just hand the ring back, hopefully. Or pawn it and take the money and run. But the uh, the um, the uh, there is no there's no legally binding nothing legally binding for our sense of engagement. But betrothal he had to, he was going to divorce her, and uh, there was all family stuff involved. That I don't know a lot of I don't know, understand a lot of the details uh, there um, uh, culturally, but. Um, but Joseph was going to divorce her, and, and then the angel came and said, no, no, she's telling the truth. It actually is from the Holy Spirit. So we can see that this would have happened right after the Annunciation that we have in Luke chapter 1, where we have the Magnificat and everything, uh, and, and 
then she goes off to be with Elizabeth, and so then she comes back, presumably, and then they get married, but he knows her not until after she uh, has, been, has given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus, just as the angel told him to. And the name Jesus means, um, means God saves. God saves, but uh, he is, it's interesting that he didn't name him Emmanuel. We, didn't have, we don't have Emmanuel Christ, because uh, Emmanuel was the name given uh, in the prophecy that, uh, of, of Isaiah, Jesus, uh, or that he will, she will have a son and he will be called Emmanuel, which is essentially, that's his title or a description of him because it means God with us, that Jesus is God with us. So there's a lot in there. What, what do you want to make sure we answer in the next 30 minutes together? Any about this? Any questions that come up for you? I've got a list of things we want to talk about, but what are, what, what are, um, what do you want to make sure gets covered? Right here, where it says, um, resolve to quiet her, to divorce her quietly. Did that mean that he was going to go ahead with the pregnancy and then divorce her? Because legally, you said betrothed was. I think he wasn't going to call it. What, what did it mean that he was going to divorce her quietly? He wasn't going to call her out in the square and have her stoned. He was just going to sign the papers. and. But he would do that after he was married? No, no. no. Divorce, that's what betrothal required divorce. Okay. That, it, that's why I'm saying it's more intense than our engagement. Yes, Richard. From what I understand, betrothal was a contract. Yes. Negotiated and agreed upon. And I believe that when he's referring to divorce here, it's not the way we refer to it. What he was talking about was negating the contract. Well, it's yes agreement. It was not like they you know met in a bar and fell in love. I mean they they um they they marriage was surely arranged, and it is a family contract. That's right. So there was there was a breaking of that contract or a nullifying of that contract, which. If she shows up pregnant, she would have nullified the contract. Yeah, so, uh, and so Joseph is just doing what an, a good and faithful and self-serving man would do. Um, and I don't mean that in a negative sense. But then the Holy Spirit had to come, the angel had to come and say to Joseph, no, this is, this is all of God's plan. So we have the virgin birth. Let me ask you this, why come as a baby? And not as a warrior on a white horse. Why come like this? He had to experience every, uh, every, every facet of man's life on the earth. He had to experience every facet of human experience on earth. Innocence. Innocence. And I'm actually going to talk about there are there There is, yes, yes, that is, that is a correct answer. It's not quite complete, or maybe overstating, but, but, I, but it is correct. He wanted to, um, needed to, experience every facet of our life. Innocence, you said? Humble and vulnerable. He wasn't supposed to be like everybody else. The strongest was the, was the best, the strongest one. He was in complete opposition that he come humble and mild and... Yeah, so he was the opposite of what anybody expected. And we still he's the opposite of what we try to make him into be as well. That, that, that's correct. 
any other thoughts on this? Is actually something. This is what we something we have to kind of wrestle with and answer answer for ourselves every year in December when we talk about Christmas. It's not uh, why why I mean we celebrate it as sweet, but let's not forget the incredible, incredibly dangerous venture of all of the fullness of God dwelling in this baby who needed to be wrapped up in a swaddling cloth. Like, that is, that is, that is divine insanity, uh, is what that is. But it is, ama- it's just amazing. The whole thing is unbelievably amazing, which is, I think, why people understandably are skeptical um, that, that God would come as a, as a baby. It is, it is really, um, if, you, if we stop and think about it, it is just a story that is too beautiful to, to I think, fully comprehend. But I think Doc is, um, is right. There is no part of your life to which he cannot now relate. Um, however, he did not grow old. And, and so he, he did not understand. You know, I'll, people always tell me, you know, and I'm just quoting here because um, I'm, in, I'm in early in the process. But I, um, but I, I am, uh, you know, people always say, you know, getting old is not for sissies. And, and they're right. He hasn't known that. Um, but there is um, there is a sense in which um, he knows what it's like to grow up. He knows what it's like to go through puberty. He knows what it's like to have to support oneself. He knows presumably what it's like to lose a parent. Um, Joseph is out of the picture uh, for after he's a teenager. Uh, he knows what it's like to have friendships go wrong. He knows what it's like to have deep satisfaction after something goes right. Um, there's a lot that he understands. Gregory of Nazianzus was a, a church father, uh, early century. I don't think he was a pope, but, um, but he was a, a great theologian and a bishop. Gregory of Nazianzus. And he said, what he has not assumed, he has not redeemed. Uh, which is to say that he, had to, he couldn't show up as a, as a warrior because we're saved not just by his death, but by his life. He had to live a full and perfect life according to the law, in order to be qualified uh, to be our Redeemer uh, and our Savior. So we're saved by His death, certainly, but we're also saved by His life. In fact, it's His life that qualifies Him uh, to offer us His saving death. The, uh, the song, which many of you uh, know and love, and happen to know, Mary, Did You Know? Some of you don't, but some, most of you, I think, do. It says some really wonderful things about this, and it, um, about did you know that your baby boy um, has, tri- I don't know all the words, I should have probably written them down, but had gone where angels trod and that he, you kissed him, you kissed the face of God. And did you know these little hands were going to um, you know, uh, heal a blind man and he was going to walk, these little feet were going to walk on water. And I often think about it and have, have, have talked about often uh, in uh, devotional things or in sermons about how uh, you know, behind those sleepy eyes was the mind that made up everything. Um, and that the hands, these little hands that held onto the, to Joseph's finger were the hands that molded the dry land. Uh, the lips um, that, that, that nursed were the same lips that spoke, let there be light. Um, and, and that's, I think you know what I mean by that. It's, um, but he, he was not in the flesh before that, he was, but he was fully God. And so there's a sense, though, in which, and I've had to actually, it's taken me a while to come to be comfortable with this. There's a sense in which God learned the human experience. 
And why I'm not comfortable with that, because I don't, I'm not comfortable with God not knowing something. Because He's all-knowing. And, and so when I say learned, I don't mean that He, like, you know, went to school and uh, you know, took a test. I, I mean that He, uh, even being fully God and creating us in His own image, He had not experienced life in the midst of sin. And so He learned in that sense, uh, not like there was this whole new world to discover, but um, because he knew it, and he came to save it. But um, it, he learned need, and he learned helplessness, and he learned human experience, the, and, and, and he learned need and helplessness, which are a result of the fallen world. And what he assumed he was then could redeem. I, um, I love to look at uh, Colossians chapter 1, which I referenced in the sermon today, and also Hebrews Hebrews 1, when we consider exactly who that is uh, in, laying in, in the manger. And, uh, and it, again, Matthew doesn't talk about no room in the inn or in, in a manger, but, but, it is, um, but, but Luke does, and so we know that, that uh, we understand that. But Colossians chapter 1, it just says some, uh, this is a super, what we call a high Christology, a high understanding of, of Jesus. Uh, where he says, he, I'm just going to read straight, I'm reading from the uh, Christian Standard Bible uh, translation, which I have, I haven't mentioned that before, I really um, have just started reading it this year and really, really like it. Christian Standard Bible. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Um, that is an extraordinary description of anything, but to think, I mean, all of you have held a baby, you know, and to think of this tiny little baby being the same one that created all things uh, through him and for him. That he's right there. And it's just, it's just, it's, there's so split in what we'd expect, this helpless, needy baby who can't uh, change his, himself that he created the world and thought up photosynthesis and pterodactyls it, it is amazing to me um, it's, it's just it's too it's too wonderful uh, Hebrews chapter 1 is is similar in these last days God the Father has spoken to us by his son God has appointed him the heir of all things and made the universe through him. The sun is the radiance or the reflection of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he became superior to the angels, just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. There's just, you just, like I said in the sermon, you can't think of him too greatly. And yet he is helpless. But he's entering the world the same way everybody, everyone enters the world. Otherwise, what was he going to do? Just drop down out of the heavens 
Yes, I mean, Charlotte said he entered the world just like, I mean, I think, Charlotte, if I was God, I would have dropped out of the heavens. I would have, I would have wanted some fanfare, a trumpet or two. I mean, like, you know, it was just, um, it, it's just, I think, unexpected. I mean, I don't, I just don't think we would, we would come up, we would do it like this. We wouldn't write it like this. Maybe, maybe but um, it, it, I just, it, it's never been written like that before. All of the gods who do appear, appear in some sort of, you know, majestic way. Uh, or controversial way, or sexual you know, way, but we have this child who appears in the womb of her without sexuality. And, and to, um, it's just amazing. So let me, let me move to the next question. Why in the womb of a virgin? For purity. Pardon me? Instead of an experienced person. I mean, why, like if he... So he didn't just drop into the world like the rest of us, uh, come into the world like the rest of us. He, he, he was placed in that, in that womb, in that sense. But he's, that's a pure vessel. A pure vessel. So he does have gen- marriage gen- genetic material, I think. You don't think he has marriage genetic? Well, then he's only God. But he's not, he's not human. It's only, it's only the Holy Spirit, then he's not fully man. Right? He's fully God coming from a fully woman. Well, to be fully man, you would need to have genetic material from two people. Yeah, but God created but genetic God created material. So. so why could he create genetic material without being married to so for the, there's a debate going on for the people online that they want. It could have been, been a person from Siberia and a person from Whose South genes America. does he have? Yeah. Is he fully human if he doesn't have two people's genes coming together? Better question is, why does it matter? Why, your question, why does it matter? I mean, I... I well, the church says it. Well, it does. There is a sense in which it, it speaks to his innocence. I don't know how, even being born of one person, that he could not have a sin nature, but he doesn't. Uh, he doesn't have a sin nature, which is you know implies that... We inherit that from our father, which you know, that's a, well, I get our good looks from our mom and our bad behavior from our dad. I, I don't, I don't really know about that. Um, I, w- I do want to uh, read in in Isaiah uh, that um, where this this because we we get one of the first of several verses that Matthew refers to, this was so that it would be fulfilled. This took place in order to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son. So in, uh, in Isaiah chapter 7, Ahaz, who is in the genealogy, is uh, the king and he's under attack. Ahaz is the uh, grandson of Uzziah. So, you know, uh, that famous passage in Isaiah. Recording in progress. Mm, thanks. Um, the, uh, the famous passage in Isaiah, in the year that King Uzziah died, that's when Isaiah gets his call. So this is Ahaz is the grandson of, of King Uzziah. Um, and they're under attack. This took place during the reign of Ahaz, son of Jotham, Son of some other people, um, that King Pekah, son of Remaliah, 
went to fight against Jerusalem, but they were not able to conquer it. When it became known to the house of David, that's Ahaz's line, that Aram had occupied Ephraim, that's a northern territory, the heart of Ahaz and the hearts of his people trembled like trees of a forest shaking in the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out with your son, She'er Jashub. That's, uh, don't name your son She'er Jashub. That's, a, that's too much to say. He won't get the first grade. Uh, to meet Ahaz, so that's Isaiah's son. Go out with your son to meet Ahaz at the end of the conduit of the upper pool, by the road of the launderer's field. And say to him, Calm down and be quiet. That sounds like something. If the Lord came to me and said, Calm down and be quiet, I would listen. That sounds great. I'd love to calm down and be quiet. Don't be afraid or cowardly because of these two smoldering sticks, the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Remalia. For Aram, along with Ephraim and the son of Remalia, has plotted harm against you. They say, let us go up against Judah, terrorize it, and conquer it for ourselves. Then we can install Tabeel's son as king in it. This is what the Lord God says. It will not happen. It will not occur. So he's saying, calm down, be quiet. I've got this. It's, it's not, they're threatening, but it's not going to happen. The chief city of Aram is Damascus. The chief of Damascus is Rezin. Within 65 years, Ephraim... This is... Go on. Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz. Ask for a sign from the Lord your God. It can be as deep as Sheol or as high as the heaven. God says... I'm going to protect you, and just to prove it to you, ask for me anything you want. That is awesome. And Ahaz says, I will not ask, I will not test the Lord. It is like this sort of feigned, um, feigned piety. Oh, I, you know, I, I'm not going to test the Lord uh, and ask Him for anything. I'm just going to show my faith. But what it seems very obvious is the Lord is not pleased with this, answer that he wants to show off. He wants to give the sign. And, uh, and that he does not believe that Ahaz is, is simply too pious to ask for anything, that he is afraid. He's not trusting. He's actually trusting in Assyria and his, uh, his contract with maybe it was Egypt, but he's, he's trusting in another country. And Isaiah said, listen, house of David, is it not enough for you to try the patience of men Will you also try the patience of my God? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive and have a son and name him Emmanuel. So, and I, you know, Ahaz was like, whatever, that's like centuries from now. I'm not, you know, I don't, it's, it's really strange that God would say, um, here's the sign that I'm going to give. There's going to be a virgin who conceives and his name will be God with us. But not like tomorrow, it's going to be centuries from now, after the exile and after the people return and after the Maccabees and all this thing, five, six, seven hundred years later. It's pretty strange uh, that way. But what uh, essentially God is saying is that, that the king's lack of faith is going to be replaced with the true and faithful king from Ahaz's line. Didn't that also happen then? <laughs> Because there was a, uh, a young, then Isaiah went and saw the young woman, and she conceived. So I think that prophecy happened multiple times. Um, 
Jim is suggesting that that happened before, and I have to tell you, Jim, I do not know that story. I do not have not heard of another virgin conception in Scripture. I would be a little bit alarmed, and I have to wrestle with that. So, um, so maybe maybe so, and I'd love for you to find that for me because I I don't it's know that. Right in that same passage, but um, it wasn't an immaculate conception. Well, I promise I will look into that. And I invite you to as well. But I have never heard of another virgin conception. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm there. Sorry. It's recorded. I don't know why it would have muted. I apologize for that. Um, all right. Could, yes. Couldn't it, by, you said the, the sign that he's giving is so far removed from the immediate events that it seems odd. Could it be his, God's way of saying, yeah, none of this other stuff really matters? Here's the sign about the, I'm telling you to calm down and everything's going to be okay. But here's what I, you know, I'm, because this is what matters, not this other. Well, I think, I mean, yes, there is, there is a sense in which that, but it's, it's very, I mean, so it's, it's, that would be akin to me saying, Josh, I know work is hard, but at least Jesus is coming back sometime. Well, that's true. That doesn't help me with work. You know, like, so, um, so that's, that's a, um, I think it would be, there would be some comfort in that. And yet, it does, I think there is a sense in which to have faith that God is in control of the, the spectrum of the universe and the timeline that we can't see is very comforting. It's also incredible to have a Savior who knows the details of our lives and our hearts. So. Joe. Yes. In today's... Um prayers of the people. Um, I thought it was interesting in the psalm, I had never picked up this part of the psalm, and I don't remember the whole verse, but David referred to the Son of Man. So, there's another. Yes, so Sissy says that, uh, said that uh, in the psalm, Psalm 8 today in our, in our readings, that, um, in church, that, that David refers to the Son of Man. What is man that you should be mindful of? The Son of Man that you should something and um and so the son of man is is representative of humanity uh and david i I think but i think you can saint augustine or saint augustine read the scriptures as often as he could as if it was a conversation between god the father and god the son so that's that is one way to take a look at it but certainly god the son was the representative of humanity even if david didn't fully grasp at the time, so, but yes, it, the Son of Man is actually Jesus appropriated that Old Testament title for Himself. All right, so um, He is Emmanuel; He is God with us, and uh, and so I want to talk just a little bit. We have a couple of minutes left uh, about the the nature of Jesus, fully God and fully man, fully human. And you can, this is called, and you don't have to remember this, but it's called the hypostatic union. It, it is, that's what theologians call it, the, the union between uh, the of two natures. And that he is not 50% human and 50% God. But he is 100% human and 100% God. And so that is, uh, that is difficult, I think, at the very least, for us to understand. And many attempts have been... Um, made to explain the nature of Jesus that have veered into what the church has called heresy. And I'm not going to go into all the different heresies. But some, as you can imagine, deny the divinity of Jesus. He was 
in a sense, the highest human, uh, the best human. We should aspire to live like Jesus because, because Jesus did. He was the highest one that denies the divinity of Jesus. Some deny the humanity of Jesus. He was essentially God appearing in human form. He kind of floated around, and, um, and that's how he was able to do the miracles and, and things like that. Um, and some sort of sequentialize the two natures, which is to say he was God, and then he came and he became human. He gave up his divinity, assumed humanity, died, rose again, became divine again, and, um, and now he is God again. No, no, that's good try. That's not it. Um, some split the two natures, supposing that there is a difference between Jesus the man and Christ the Savior. So he's Jesus Christ. It's sort of a dual, almost, and I don't mean this irreverently, but a split personality. I don't think anybody, and they're trying to make sense. These are all good attempts to try to understand the one in the manger who is fully God and yet fully human. There are times where he, Jesus knows things that, that you shouldn't know as a human. You know, like um, the woman at the well, the man you're with uh, is not your husband. You've had five husbands. Um, like the uh, Syrophoenician woman, your daughter will be made well. So she leaves. The next day she finds out their daughter was well at the same time that, that he said it. It is... Um, so there are times that he sort of taps into his divinity. And there are times where he doesn't seem to really know things that, that you might think that God would know. Um, you know, there's also there's times where they, they went to seize him, but it was not yet his time, and so he slipped away. Like, I, I don't know how that happens. Um, uh, it, so it's, um, there are, it, it is difficult to make out his divine and human nature I think, but he is certainly a fully God and fully human. It is a thin line. But the creeds that we recite every, every week, the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed, confirm that Jesus is both fully God and fully human, that those natures are joined and unified but distinct from one another. So in this sense, Jesus is a mystery, which is to say he is a Savior beyond our full comprehension. In the same way that the Trinity is one God, three persons, that math doesn't add up, but we know it's true. So, um, his, his union, the union of His two natures, if He is not fully God, then He cannot be our Savior. If He is not fully human, He cannot have redeemed us. Because He can't have redeemed what He has not assumed. So if that sounds too much like seminary, I apologize, but it's, 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 it's pretty complicated. Yeah, but you're smart people. Yeah, uh, let's get Doc and then Charlotte. Uh, I'd like to think about uh, this uh, little boy that had to be taught how to uh, learn his clothes, uh, had to learn and study the scriptures. Uh, I'm sure he was good. I'm sure he was a good child. But in the end of Jesus' life, when we last see him in the scripture, this same Jesus, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye here gazing? This same Jesus shall return in like manner as you see him today. And of course, he left in his, in his earthly body, mm -hmm. but it was a body, and he has a body right now. Yes. And he's seated. He's right seated at the right hand of the Father, in his as body. a human, earthly, but redeemed body—the one that can appear behind locked doors. 
Like we will have when we're in Yes. Yes. But he did. There is also a sense in which as he develops as a human, he is understanding more and more who he is. Somebody came up to me after my um, sermon last week and said, we don't really talk about how Jesus uh, devo- was devoid of his own knowledge of himself. That's part of what he gave up. And I said, I- I'm going to have to think about that a little more. And I really haven't. So, um, the, yeah. At what, pla- you know, at what place in this child's life did he recognize and be aware that he was the Son of God? Well, he seems to be get- coming around to it in the temple as a boy. Didn't you know I should be in my father's house? Wise beyond, far beyond his years. And yet, it's really in the baptism that he steps into who he is. As he's, um, you know, it's fascinating. Yeah, it is. It is fascinating. Charlotte had a point. I, I think, for me, one of the, the biggest questions about Jesus is the fact that he fully well, human, that he managed to be sinless. How could he be fully human but not, not sinful? Ever, not ever screw up. And it's kind of like, so. You know, he went through, uh, so he went through I mean, puberty. I he is, don't get me wrong. I'm just, so maybe the divine nature. And every time he had the choice. Well, the human nature said that the human nature yeah. is down. It, it, it is remarkable. And that's, I think that's only achieved because he was God. Yeah. How could I mean how? And yet, did he have the that? I mean, that is a, that is the, a question that the theologians have batted around for centuries and millennia. Is could he have messed up? Did he have the free will to to step out of line from the letter of the law and the spirit of the law? And well, maybe not if, if we were God. I mean, I the only so. way I'd be sinless would be to lock me in a closet in the dark and knock me out. Oh, yeah, but, yeah, knock you out because you just, I mean, but then you got dreams, and I don't, I don't know about <laughs> you, but I mean, like. All right, so let me, um, uh, so it, it is fascinating, and we, we could we could spend a lot, of, and you can, there's lots of books you can read if you're really interested. Um, the angels come and, and proclaim both in Luke and in, in, in Matthew. His name is Jesus. His name is God saves. So here's here's what um, Tim Keller has written. I, this is a great quote. I saw this. I, I saved this this one, um, and I pulled it out because I thought this fit well. If Jesus is who he said he is, you have to center your whole life on him. And if he is not who he said he is, then he is someone to hate or run away from. But no other response makes any sense. Either he is God or he is not. And so he's absolutely crazy or infinitely wonderful. The modern world, however, is filled with people who say that they believe in Jesus. They say they understand who he is. But it hasn't revolutionized their lives. There has been no crisis and lasting change. The only way to explain that is that contrary to what they claim, they have not really grasped the meaning that He is God with us. And that is, that is something for us to take home and wrestle with. The miraculous thing of Christ being formed in us is, a, is a such a divine mystery. I've heard people say before they couldn't believe in the virgin birth. And of course, you wouldn't stand. But, but uh, Christ is being formed in us daily as we walk before Him. 
Christ is being formed in us. Yes, I mean, He dwells in us by faith, by, by the Holy Spirit. And so, so yeah, so formed in us daily, we are being a pattern to conform to, to, to His will. Um, our will very much is still at, at odds and, and wrestling, uh, but, but we are being sanctified. Um, we pray. Although, I tell you, I mean, sometimes I, I'm, I'm disappointed in my prog- sanctification progress, that I'm a little ornery, or, or, a little, I can't even say the word ornery, and it makes me upset. Um, it, you know, but I, I just, I, I would have thought 30 years into being a Christian that I would have, I would have, I would have licked this ornery thing, and, um, and I hadn't. You know, and so I, it, it's, it, is, it takes, like I said today, it takes our whole life. It takes our whole life. It's impossible. That's why it's Jesus. Yes. Well, I mean, it's, it's, um, we can know the Scriptures, we can let them be formed in us, and we can hide them in our heart, and we can um, have the Spirit of God and grow more and more like Him. But as we tend the soil in the garden of our hearts, we're always going to have rocks that come to the surface. And it's just a matter of handing them over to the Lord. So. Alright, friends, next week we are starting part two, which is Epiphany. Epiphany. So we will have uh, the Magi meet Jesus. And then we have um, who meets Jesus after that? And then we have Satan meeting Jesus and then the world meeting Jesus. But we have um, oh, the Baptist. John the Baptist. So we have next week is Magi. The week after that is John the Baptist. And then Satan in the wilderness and then the world. So um, chapter, it's just the Magi. um, Chapter 1 through what is it? Uh, chapter 2, 1 through 23, next week. God bless you. If you haven't been to church, go to church. If you haven't been to church, go love somebody. <laughs> Sorry so much about all the in and out. Apologize for that.